Coming up on the Rami Lavie podcast, Lamar Jackson's situation in Baltimore continues to get more and more dicey. What will happen with Lamar Jackson? The Jets fire their entire offensive coaching staff as well. And we have a wild, wild card weekend, super wild card weekend. Some people are calling it in the NFL. I also touched on some college football, a crazy story in baseball, and something to do with the Knicks, because why not talk about the Knicks a little bit as we are in basketball season in full-fledged. All that and a whole lot more. I picked all the games. Of course I did. It's a Friday episode. Picked all the games in the NFL this weekend for you. All that and a whole lot more coming up next on the Rami Levy Podcast. Stay tuned. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La V podcast, episode 127, an absolutely loaded show today. Uh, lots going on. Uh, it's Friday right now. It is January 2023, January 13th. We have wild, wild card weekend and a whole lot more. Obviously, the Jets, there was a whole lot going on. But I want to open the show like this. You may have asked yourself if you're a regular listener of the podcast. Why was there no Wednesday episode? Well, I had to fill in on the fan. A couple people got sick. Had to fill in uh, on the fan here in Baltimore all week. Really, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And that is why I delayed the recording to Friday and did not have a Wednesday episode. It is also why I'm opening the podcast the way I'm opening it today. And I am furious at Ravens fans. And I'm starting with Lamar Jackson. It's not just a Baltimore story. It's become a national story with guys like Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter. And it's on NFL Network and ESPN every day. And the same images over and over again. But last night, Wednesday night, I'm recording this on Thursday. Last night, Wednesday night, something clicked inside me where I was, and I tweeted this picture out, but I was producing a show here, Shaking It Up Sports with my buddy Cordell Woodland on The Fan. And we had about 50 callers call in over the course of a three-hour radio show. And all of them essentially said the same thing, which was, essentially, we don't need Lamar. Get rid of Lamar. Let him walk. If he doesn't want to play, he's a loser. Blah, 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 blah. You ungrateful bastards, you Baltimore Raven fans. You have an all-time quarterback. You have an extremely talented quarterback. You have a guy who won an MVP. And you're sitting here... On the eve of a playoff game, you have a playoff game that I think is a winnable playoff game. 
a game that you are going against a division opponent that you already beat once this year. It's not like you had a crazy offensive output in that game, but you already beat them once. And you just played them last week and actually looked great against them in the second half. Didn't allow a touchdown in the second half to them. And all you want to talk about is Lamar and his contract and him being a potential free agent and wanting to get rid of him. And they're saying he's injury prone. He doesn't want to play. He's holding in. I don't know if any of those things are true. What I will tell you is Lamar is an excellent quarterback. He is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. And people are saying, well, yeah, he shouldn't play and he should walk and the Ravens should let him go and blah, 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 blah. And if he doesn't play, then he might as well leave anyway. They don't appreciate what they have. And they're kind of all being racist also at the same time because all of them are like, there's something just doesn't look right about him as a quarterback. He, he's not a thrower. He's not a pocket passer. You're making up excuses because you see a guy who's not Joe Flacco. And that's why you don't want him to be your starting quarterback right now. I mean, I've had enough of it. It's ridiculous. And as a Jet fan, I take him tomorrow. And by the way, the injuries Lamar Jackson has had the last two seasons, because you want to talk about the injuries so much. He's injury prone. Is he injury prone? I don't know. Yes, he's had two tough injuries, a knee sprain this year, and it's it's not great. But at the same time, Everyone talks about, well, he's a running quarterback, and that's why he's going to get hurt. This is why you can't guarantee him money. That's not true. Yes, he has injuries the last couple of years, but it's not true that it's because, oh, he's a running quarterback, and you can't pay him, and blah, blah, blah. Both his injuries came in the pocket. He actually protects himself very well. He slides down. Now, I know he doesn't have quite the body that Josh Allen has, but Josh Allen takes way more vicious hits than Lamar Jackson takes. I would say the same thing about Jalen Hurts. Even Patrick Mahomes makes so much magic running around. The idea that we have this guy who's just going to sit in the pocket and sit there and make throws is just not the NFL right now. And even a guy like Joe Burrow, who, by the way, has the mobility outside the pocket, I would argue that Joe Burrow takes more hits than Lamar Jackson because he sits there and because he stands in the pocket. He holds onto the ball an extra second longer and throws it. If you wanted to tell me Lamar is not the best passer in the world, yeah, that's true. He's not as good of a passer as some of these other guys, although I thought for the beginning part of this season before he got hurt, he was throwing the ball as well as he's ever thrown in his career. So it's not even a great excuse to say that at this point. But if you wanted to tell me that I'd buy it, if you told me that that was the reason why you didn't want Lamar Jackson, maybe I'd buy it. But at the same time, even with Lamar Jackson and his throwing ability, he makes up for it with every other aspect of his game, his escapability, his big playability. Remember 2019 when the Ravens went 14-2 and and they won 12 games in a row? There were games during that stretch that Lamar Jackson was single-handedly pulling games out for them. There were games when this team stunk and he was single-handedly pulling games out for them. You know how I know? Because look how bad the wide receiver core is. Look how bad the offensive coordinator is. The team has done nothing to help Lamar Jackson. And if I was Lamar, I'd like to leave too. And if I was Lamar, I'd be holding in too. Because you didn't take care of him after year three, which is when you should have taken care of him. And we'll get to DaCosta in a second, the general manager. And now you've done nothing in that three-year span since you should have, or two-year span since you should have paid him. After he was already the MVP, you've done nothing to prove that you value this guy. No wide receivers. And it's not that, not for lack of trying. The offensive coordinator has been stale and repetitive. Bad scheme. And now he's been hurt twice and he won't come to the table with what he perceives to be a guaranteed contract. And by the way, he's a world-class guy, always has been. And 
look, would I guarantee him the money and the contract that Deshaun Watson gave him? No. I thought that was stupid, and I think that the owners in the league not named or not being the Browns owner would actually look at the Ravens and say, no, we can't have that happen to us again. We can't have this become the standard. But by the way, this is how things work. The first thing happens and then it becomes a standard and everyone has to get used to it. But I definitely give him Kyler Murray money. Like to say that Kyler and Deshaun Watson are worth his money. Lamar Jackson has never had the character issues, especially that not that Deshaun Watson has had. He wasn't coming off of not playing the way Deshaun Watson was. So I understand where Lamar is coming from, that he wants a contract and he wants a guaranteed contract. And the other thing is there's going to be a team out there that's willing to give it to him. But this is the problem for the Ravens. It has nothing to do with the contract right now because the contract should have been taken care of years ago. Eric DaCosta should have signed Lamar Jackson after 2020, which is when every rookie quarterback gets signed after the three-year rookie extension. And because they lost a playoff game, they felt like we can't give this guy the money right now. And I'm sorry, you made the playoffs three years in a row with him. He was the savior. He came in during that Joe Flacco season. The next year, he's the MVP. And then the following year, you go to the playoffs again. And he was healthy in all three of those seasons. And you don't pay him then? You don't give him the just the dignity of giving him a regular rookie extension like every rookie gets after year three when they've proven that they can really play in this league? You make him wait it out to the entire length of the five-year rookie deal? And now you're sitting in a spot where you have to franchise tag him and you're going to franchise tag him. And what's crazy is that Raven fans, those same Raven fans, are speaking glowingly of Eric DaCosta this week because he went out and signed Roquan Smith to an extension, made him the highest paid off-ball linebacker in the NFL. And by the way, Roquan's deserving of it and it was an incredible trade to get him here. And it was a great job by Eric DaCosta to go out and get the deal done before Roquan hit free agency because had he hit free agency, he would have gotten this money and more elsewhere anyway. So it's not like you were saving any money. You probably just guarantee that he's going to stay here. And by the way, good guy Roquan Smith for saying $100 million is enough, quote unquote, $60 million guaranteed is enough for me. I don't need to test the open market. I like it here. I want to win. Seems like a genuine good dude. And he also understands that the only way they can actually make a move on Lamar Jackson, probably franchise tag him, which I'm not saying they should be giving Lamar Jackson the contract after back-to-back seasons of being injured. Yes, I think the right play is to franchise tag him, whether you plan on signing him long-term or not. But now he knows that opens up the franchise tag for their franchise quarterback, and he can play under a contract. And by the way, Signing him to that deal actually helps them in the cap because you could actually spread it out. You can make part of the contract signing bonuses. I think 40 of the $60 million guaranteed is a signing bonus, so it doesn't count towards the cap hit. All those different things that you do, that's why you sign the long contract. The franchise tag actually is worse for your cap situation. But had he not signed Roquan Smith this week and Eric DaCosta is who we're talking about, the general manager of the Ravens, would he be on the hot seat right now? And I think he should be. And if you look at Roquan's impact, the team before he showed up was a bottom five ranked defense in the NFL, and they've been a top three ranked defense in every category since he's shown up. Roquan's impact is undeniable. That's 100% true. But I also saw, look at the quarterbacks that he played against since he's gotten here. It's not like they've played world beaters in that time stretch since Roquan arrived. The quarterbacks they've faced are Andy Dalton, Baker Mayfield, Trevor Lawrence, who they allowed 28 points to, 
and that giant comeback. Russell Wilson, Kenny Pickett, Deshaun Watson, Desmond Ritter, Kenny Pickett again. By the way, the first time they played Pickett, it was actually mostly um, Tr- Mitch Trubisky. And the second time they came, they played Pickett, he had that comeback against them late in the game. And Joe Burrow, who they allowed 27 points to. So, yes, they weren't playing world beaters at quarterback. But the defense has taken a major jump. Patrick Queen's came, game has taken a major jump. He wins the team MVP. And so you had to go out and sign that guy. It makes sense. I understand why. They did what they did. The question on the other side of this is sometimes, and we talk about this with the Sacramento Kings, you compound a mistake with another mistake. When I talked about the Sacramento Kings giving the big contract to De'Aaron Fox, and then they decided they had to trade away Halliburton because they had to maximize Fox, that was the second mistake. You signed Fox, that was the first mistake. And the second mistake was trading away Halliburton, the better player, because you are already committed to Fox and you didn't want to eat that mistake. So maybe it was a mistake to sign to trade away a first round pick and multiple picks for an off ball linebacker. And then he played really well and you want to compound. You said, well, I'm not going to lose this linebacker now for nothing after trading all that away for him. So now I have to give him this contract. We'll see how it plays out for the Ravens. The Ravens don't run their organization the way normal organizations are run. Eric DaCosta is more focused on fullbacks and middle linebackers than he is on wide receivers. And that's the problem with this organization. I think John Harbaugh is an excellent coach. I don't think Greg Roman's a great offensive coordinator. But when you look at this team, they have multiple tight ends, multiple fullbacks. They run this team like it's 1990. And maybe they'll go on a Super Bowl run and everything can change if they win one game on Sunday against Cincinnati. It's true. It can all change in a heartbeat. But the way it stands, this deal, that Roquan Smith deal, changes nothing for the Ravens organization. Nothing changes. And the fact that they're getting all this positive public press, like I said, it's a good contract, but it's unwarranted. They're always going to tag Lamar Jackson. They always had to tag Lamar Jackson. And now you just have the more cap flexibility. That's the only difference. So you have more cap flexibility because you signed Roquan Smith long term. But other than that, you had to give the tag to Lamar. And in my opinion, they're probably going to tag and trade him because that's where it looks like that's where the sever between the organization and the player seems to be. And I hope Raven fans get to see what life without a franchise quarterback is like because it's not fun. It's bleak. As a Jets fan, I know that. And as a Jets fan, I hope they trade for Lamar Jackson. And it feels like things are pointed in that direction, maybe because I'm a New York sports fan. I talk about New York sports, but then I also work on the Baltimore side and I'm so involved with both the Ravens and the Jets. Jet season ticket holder. That maybe for me, it feels like because I'm so intertwined with it, that's why it feels like they're definitely going to get Lamar Jackson. But it just, it feels like that's what's going to happen. Today, the entire offensive staff got fired for the Jets. And there's three reasons why the entire offensive staff, that includes the quarterback's coach, the offensive coordinator, and also the O-line coach. The number one reason why the three of them got fired is because they failed to develop the second overall pick in the draft. And now I said this on last episode. I said it was the head coach's pick. I meant to say it was the owner's pick. This was Woody Johnson's pick. Woody Johnson fell in love with the throw. I don't think this is a Joe Douglas pick. Joe Douglas, nothing about him tells us that he would like a guy like Zach Wilson. Robert Sala, I think, would fall in love with any player, no matter who he is. Heck, he falls in love with freaking Braden Mann, who stinks, and he still loves him. So this is not a... Salah pick. I think this was 100% a Woody Johnson pick. He was the media darling Zach Wilson was at the time, and so he decided to take him. 
And so that's on the owner. But the owner can't eat it. He's not going to fire himself. And the quarterback didn't develop properly because he's not an NFL quarterback. And someone needs to take the blame for that. So you fire the offensive coordinator. You fire the offensive coaches. That's one. Reason number two. Obviously, the Jets were 7-4, and four and they lose six straight to end the season. And in the last month of the season, they didn't score a touchdown. Now, there were four different quarterbacks who played during that stretch, but none of them scored a touchdown. What's the common denominator? The offensive game plan, right? The offensive coaches, the offensive coordinator, the quarterbacks coach, the O-line coach. And in that time, in that span, those last four games of the year, the opponents were averaging 18 points per game. So you're telling me the Jets couldn't score 19 points? In those four games, yeah, that's on the offense. And number three, the third reason, and this kind of reason is a little interesting, but after the Jets were 6-3 and and they beat the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets raised their season ticket prices. And maybe I'm the only one who cares about this or one of few because I'm a Jets season ticket holder. But I think there are other Jet fans who are season ticket holders who care about this also. Woody Johnson had to answer to the fans. He had to have a major shakeup. He had to send a message to say, This is unacceptable because fans who raised their season ticket prices and were now paying more, and then after they raise the prices, the Jets season completely falls apart. Yeah, if you told me halfway through the season that the Jets were raising their prices, I'd say, I look at the schedule. Look, we're playing Justin Herbert next year. We're playing Patrick Mahomes next year, both at home. This team might be a playoff team this year. This team has the potential to be a playoff team next year. Of course, you're raising the prices. This makes sense. But with the way the season ended, you can't convince me anymore that Raising the ticket prices makes sense, and somebody had to answer to that. And also, it sends a message, and this is a fourth reason, and I I thought of this, but it sends a message to Robert Sala. It says, hey, Robert Sala, I fired the guy that you said is not going to be fired, and I went ahead and fired him. You know why I went ahead and fired him? Because you guys, what you guys did as a staff altogether was unacceptable. And Woody said the exact right thing about Robert Sala. He said the right thing about the quarterback. He said, Robert Sala, it's not playoffs are bust for you next year. It's what I talked about with the owner of the Ravens. I think that makes sense. I think it's a true thing. You, If Woody Johnson says that it's playoff or bust for Sala next year, then he has to answer as to why he didn't fire Sala this year. Because if it's playoffs or bust, that means you're not happy with the job he's doing, but you're giving him another chance. I believe it is playoffs or bust one way or another for Sala next year. But if the whole point is not to look like a dysfunctional organization that's hiring and firing coaches every couple of years, then why would you put that mandate? Why would you, you're already telling people you're dysfunctional that you're going to fire him if they don't make the playoffs next year. That doesn't account for variables, anything like that. And he also said, and I said this on my podcast and my father made fun of me. I said this on the air on the fan that he thinks the team is one quarterback away from winning. Now the quarterback is the toughest position to fill, but this is why I think they will go out and do whatever it takes, trade however many picks it takes to get Lamar Jackson. There's the JD connection. Douglas worked for the Ravens. There's the fact that they have the money to spend. They have the capital, the draft capital, more than other teams to spend on Lamar Jackson. So I truly, truly believe that the Jets will be going after a quarterback. And I think the number one guy on the list is Lamar. And I believe that that's the guy they want to go get. And I think everything that Woody Johnson said in his press conference was 100% right. Now, The guy who doesn't say anything and still he's continuing to dig a grave for himself is Robert Sala. Robert Sala, he just can't speak honestly to the media and I don't understand it. When he talked about Mike LaFleur being fired, he couldn't just say, yes, I fired him. He said, 
no, well, really, we wanted to keep him, but he's pursuing other options, and we let him go pursue other options because so many other teams, he's in such high demand. The guy who led the Jets to the 29th-ranked offense in the NFL is in such high demand that other teams are trying to get him, so we'll let them go get him. Really? If Mike LaFleur doesn't get an offensive coordinator job or better this offensive, this offseason, then Salah just has egg in his face again and looks like a liar again. And he's not going to get an offensive coordinator job or better this offseason. I'll spare you the suspense because why would he? I mean, it's just, just tell the truth. You're his best friend. Last week you said you're not firing him, but you were forced to fire him because the team stunk and the offense sucked and somebody has to take the blame and all the other reasons that I said. But I don't understand why our head coach can't say that. It doesn't make sense to me. And by the way, this is the same team, and I think Evan Roberts pointed this out on the radio today. It's the same team that when multiple players asked for trades, they said, sorry, we're not trading you. So now all of a sudden that there's a guy who's looking at other opportunities from other organizations, if you really loved him this much, you would have said, no, we're not letting you go other places. They fired him because they stunk and all the reasons I said. Just say they fired him. I don't understand. The mutually agree to part ways. Maybe they're trying to look more functional, like I said, but I don't know. It's also the same thing with Connor Hughes, who tweeted about it. He tweeted, they are not firing Robert Sala after the news came out that, or Mike LaFleur after the news came out that they were firing Mike LaFleur. And then instead of just saying they fired Mike LaFleur, Connor Hughes says they mutually parted ways. Take the L. It's okay. It's okay once in a while to take the L. This pride and ego thing, it just get over it. It's not about you. Here's the thing with the Ravens and Lamar. And the Jets and Lamar. At the end of the day, I don't think the Ravens should trade him. But if he's available, and all of the things are pointing towards the fact that he's available, and I don't know if he's holding in or not, but that could be definitely be a possibility that Lamar is telling them, holding the Ravens hostage, I'm not playing because I have no contract, and there's no reason for me to play at 85% health and risk injuring this knee further. That's a possibility. I don't know if it's true or not. But if he is doing that, I would get that because he's the number one quarterback available on the market. And there are a lot of quarterbacks on the market available. And I went through this exercise because it feels like there are so many quarterbacks available and so many teams in need of quarterbacks, especially if guys like Lamar are leaving their current teams. So I listed them. I gave a grade to all the quarterbacks I would want and I do want as a Jets fan. And I also listed the teams because they're not going to be the only ones looking for a quarterback. And there's actually two lists because there's the list that I made um, (laughs) with who I want and who I think I put them in order, who I think the top available candidates are. I ranked them 22 guys. And I found this on Twitter afterwards, and I think this was funny and accurate, and I wish I could give the person credit. I screenshotted it and didn't have uh, the person who, um, who put it together actually in the screenshot. So uh, unfortunately I don't know who tweeted this, so I can't give proper credit. This was great. Um, And they put, they did categories of jets quarterbacks. And I think that's also a great way to do it instead of ranking them one through 22. So there's a, let me dream category and has Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson in it. Agreed ruined my childhood, but how could I say no category? And that's obviously Tom Brady. The next category is doesn't make sense, but sign me up. And it's a picture of Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins, and Kyler Murray, who may potentially be available. 
It says best, most realistic, and it has a picture of Derek Carr, and I agree that that's probably the best option of the realistic guys. Then it has most realistic, and it has Jimmy Garoppolo. Makes sense. 49ers connection, that whole thing. The next one is give him a call, and it's a picture of Andrew Luck. Why the hell not? And then said, the next one is, seems weird, but it would work. And that's Daniel Jones and Geno Smith. I definitely agree. They should pursue Daniel Jones if he's available. I'm not so sure on Geno Smith, but I guess he had a good year. Scared this might happen is the next option. And oh boy, do I agree. It's Ryan Tannehill, Jacoby Brissett, Teddy Bridgewater, and Mike White. Mike White. I love Mike White, but he's not the starting quarterback for this team. Don't let this don't let it get to this point is the next category, and it's a picture of Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Taylor Heineke, and Gardner Minshew. I agree. Another give them a call question mark. And I actually don't know one of these guys, but it's Christian Hackenberg. It's um or is that Bryce Petty, one or the other? Ryan Fitzpatrick and Joe Namath. So that's fun. Please God no. That category has uh that kid from Seattle who was part of the Russell Wilson trade. I don't remember his name. Um, and uh, Zach Wilson, obviously. And then just no is Strevler and Flacco. So that is kind of the fake, funny uh, quarterback rankings. I have the real quarterback rankings, the ones that I have and uh, graded for the Jets. And here is that list as follows. Number one and the number one option on the list. And if you haven't been listening to the podcast so far, you might not know who I'm going with this. But if you've been listening for the past 25 minutes, you know that the number one option for me on the list is Lamar Jackson. I don't think it's particularly close. Number two is Tom Brady. Tom Brady. I have him ahead of Rodgers because Rodgers is such a wild card. Rodgers didn't look great this year. I still think Tom Brady looked really good. I think Brady also comes probably with a head coach, although we saw him overcoming bad coaching this year by the way back to the head coach for a second with the Jets a lot of people are speculating who the offensive coordinator would be I think a great option would be Bill O'Brien um and here's why and I just thought of this as I was recording it and that's why I decided to mention it but Bill O'Brien the reason why I think he'd be a good offensive coordinator option and sorry to be going off a tan on a tangent in the middle of my quarterback ranking list um but Bill O'Brien has NFL experience and he's from the Belichick tree and he had success in the NFL as a head coach until he took over the actual uh, side of the, the player, I guess, player choosing the general manager, whatever you want to call it side of things. And we've seen that. And we talked about this on, I think it was last week when even if you're Bill Belichick, it doesn't work when you're in charge of personnel and you're also the head coach. It didn't work for Bill O'Brien. Um, and that's when things went downhill in Houston. That said, he's a guy who has had success as an NFL head coach. He wants to get back into the NFL. And basically what you're saying is, okay, Robert Sala, he's not that good of a game manager. We saw there was a lot of frustration with the amateur staff that the Jets had. A lot of frustration from a veteran quarterback like Joe Flacco in that last game of the season. So bringing a guy who could kind of be the offensive head coach and can kind of coach the offense, be in charge of timeouts, game clock management, different things like that, and can help Robert Sala out deciding to go for it on fourth down, stuff like that. Um, and Bill O'Brien, a guy who has head coaching experience. And I do think this is Joe Douglas's hire to make because I think he's on better ground with the organization than Robert Sala currently is with the organization. And so the thing I think uh, you say to Bill O'Brien is we're bringing you in. And if things go south with Robert Sala, then he's fired because I do think one of the reasons and obviously then Bill O'Brien, you would have reins to the franchise. You would be one of the top candidates as a head coach. So whether you bring him in and you're telling him, okay, 
right now you're there as the quote-unquote second head coach alongside Salah, that's one. And then if that doesn't go well, then, oh, hey, this op- opens the opportunity for you to get back into being a head coach for the Jets. Because I do think it's going to be a hard job to sell people on, whether you said it in the media or not. This is probably one of the reasons they didn't say it's playoff or bust for the Jets. Is because how could you say it's playoff or bust for the Jets, and or for Salah, I should say, and then try and go hire an offensive coordinator when that offensive coordinator knows that, oh my God, I'm going to get canned in a year if this guy gets canned. So that's why I do think it's Joe Douglas making the hire. It's not going to be one of these young kids with a great offensive mind. I don't think that's the option. I don't think that's where this organization is right now. They're in a win-now mode. They want to get a veteran quarterback. They want to get a veteran offensive coordinator. Bill O'Brien is the guy. Brady has success with Bill O'Brien. I think that would actually work, even if Salah's still that coach. Brady's number two on this list. Number three is Aaron Rodgers. Despite all the things that happened with Aaron Rodgers, and Ryan Rosillo was actually really funny about it on his podcast. Ryan Rosillo said on his podcast, he titled it Bye Bye Aaron Rodgers, and then in the podcast was like, yeah, but we did this each of the last two seasons. If you look back to the press conferences and different things that Rodgers said after those seasons, it's very similar to what he's saying now. So basically, it's like Rodgers loves the attention, and this is what he loves to do. So the fact that he's doing this again, not shocking. Uh, so he addressed the fact that it seems like Rodgers is retiring, but it's just typical Rodgers stuff. Uh, so that was funny that he said that right after um, I said the same thing on my podcast. And like I said, I always talk about the kind of validation that I get when I see some of the podcasts that I love and listen to uh, do similar things. Number four is Jared Goff. I think if Jared Goff becomes available, I think he might want a new contract in Detroit. This is a guy, like we said, it was a throwaway and in this trade, right? Where it's like, okay, they're just going to run him into the ground. He's the fill-in for whoever becomes this terrible franchise's quarterback, whoever they pick first overall in the next couple of years. It went the opposite with the Lions. He leaves Sean McVay, and it seems like he's only gotten better. He has a career year this year in Detroit. If he becomes available, he's number four and allow guy to dream. Number five is Jimmy G. Now, Jimmy G, like I said, I don't think he's the best option. His health is concerning. The fact that Brock Purdy is having major success in this offense might be offense without uh, Jimmy G might be telling about what Jimmy G's talent level is. The guy who they keep trying to replace. But at the same time, we talked about all year. The guy they keep trying to replace is a guy who's a winner. And all he's done is had success in his career. And he's number five. Number six is Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones took a major step. There's a chance that the Giants decide we don't want to pay him seven, eight years. And it's funny because they're in a better position quarterback wise. than I think the Ravens are because Lamar Jackson won an MVP. So early on, you can't now get Lamar on the cheap because he's coming off of two injured seasons. Whereas Daniel Jones is coming off the best year of his career. And he's going to get a cheaper deal because of what we saw in the first four years. It's really interesting where Lamar's trending down, but his value is way higher. Daniel Jones is trending way up and his value is lower. So there's an interesting value thing with the contract there where if you can get him for 18 to $22 million a year, and I think that's a realistic thing to get Daniel Jones for, then that gives you so much flexibility with the rest of the roster. It's almost like having a quarterback on a rookie contract, and that's the quarterback that you're paying to be your franchise quarterback. I think that is a great deal. Derek Carr is number seven. He's a little bit expensive from, I mean what I see if they're going to trade for him now obviously the contract doesn't kick in yet so there's a chance that they let him walk in free agency but if Vegas is going to try and trade him and I'm not sure there's something convoluted with how the contract works and I'm not sure exactly how it works but if Vegas is going to try and trade him it's going to cost you a lot of money probably not a lot of picks but he already gave his goodbye today to the Las Vegas Raiders and their fans so Derek Carr is out of Vegas and I think uh, he's number seven on this list number eight is Jacoby Brissett Jacoby Brissett like I said 
I wouldn't love that, but he had success in this offense. He's had success wherever he's gone. He's a very capable quarterback. And this is where we get into that category where it's like, eh, these guys are capable. Yeah, they could be the quarterback, but they're not winning us a Super Bowl. I want a veteran guy who's going to win now. If you went out and got Jacoby Brissett, that doesn't exactly answer the quest that Woody Johnson talked about of, we'll get a great quarterback in here at all costs. And the next few guys are in that same category. Sam Darnold, like we said, Ryan Tannehill from... Tennessee, if they decide to move off him this year, even though he has one more year on the contract. Geno Smith, Mike White, Baker Mayfield, Jameis Winston I threw in there, Teddy Bridgewater. And then there's the guys who are a level below that. That's that's a category of guys who I think would, day one, have the starting job, but at the same time, they're not exactly. So again, this is 9 or 8, I should say, through 15, is Jacoby Brissett, Sam Darnold, Ryan Tannehill, Geno Smith, Mike White, Baker Mayfield, Jameis Winston, and Teddy Bridgewater. Number 16 is Taylor Heineke. I love Taylor Heineke. He's fun. He's a good dude. He has a good game, but he's not an NFL starting quarterback. If you brought him in as the backup, fine, but he's not the guy. He's a guy who, when you bring him in, it's like, all right, this is competition with Zach Wilson. Let's see who wins. The same thing. Number 17 is Garner Minshew. Same situation. Number 18, Tyrod Taylor was supposed to be in a quarterback competition this year with Daniel Jones, and he lost it to Daniel Jones. And apparently the rumors were that early in the year, Brian Dable was dying for Tyra Taylor to actually become the starting quarterback of his team, but Daniel Jones kept proving himself and won that job and continued to win it every week. Number 19 is Mitch Trubisky, another guy who I was a Trubisky truther a couple years ago. I'm far removed from that. I don't think he's the answer. Number 20 is Andy Dalton. Number 21 is, well, I mean, at this point, we're talking about guys who are cooked. Number 21 is Matt Ryan, and number 22 is Carson Wentz. And if they get Carson Wentz, I will throw an absolute fit. But I think the Jets probably will get Carson Wentz because why would I believe that they'd get anyone else? They'll talk about the talent. They'll talk about the almost MVP season in Philly. They'll get Carson Wentz. Every time I bring up his name, I'm like, that's who the Jets are going to get. It's classic. By the way, um, they did say that Lamar's knee is inflamed, and he said he was quoted saying, I wish I could be out there with my guys. I don't know what to believe, I, I if I'm being honest. Um, when I went through the quarterbacks though, and I did this, I actually had an interesting thought because you have 22 quarterbacks that I just listed, but the Jets aren't the only team who are going to need a quarterback. And some guys, some teams will answer the quarterback in the draft. Other teams have the quarterback, but if this guy is leaving them, the guy who was on that list of 22, then they're going somewhere else. I came up with 18 teams of the 32. 18 teams that are potentially looking for a new quarterback next year. And some of them are even playoff teams. Obviously, I mentioned the Jets. Chicago, we know, could be looking for a quarterback. Is Justin Fields available? They have the first overall pick in the draft. I have Houston. Obviously, they're looking for a quarterback either the, with their pick in the draft or maybe they trade for Fields. The Tennessee Titans, if they move off Ryan Tannehill, then they're in that category. Obviously, Las Vegas looks like they're moving off of Derek Carr, I don't think they're going to stick with Jared Stidham, at least as their only quarterback. Baltimore, if they move off of Lamar Jackson, they're going to be looking for a quarterback. Miami could potentially be looking for a quarterback without Tua, and this is where it gets interesting. Miami, Baltimore, both playoff teams. New England, almost a playoff team. They're kind of a sneaky one in here. They did not speak glowingly, and they being Bill Belichick, did not speak glowingly of Mac Jones after this season. Are they looking for a quarterback? Washington doesn't look like they have the answer on the roster unless they trust Sam Howell. Indianapolis, they're always looking for a quarterback. They'll probably end up, uh, maybe they'll get Derek Carr. I don't know. I'm curious to see who Indianapolis ends up with. That's definitely going to be a fun one. Green Bay, I mean, if Rodgers is gone, do they trust Jordan Love to be the next quarterback? Atlanta, 
they probably are looking for a quarterback. They'll probably try and get one in the draft. Maybe they trade for Hurts or sorry for Fields. They're uh, Carolina, same category. Like Sam Darnold looked good for them, but are they re-upping with Sam Darnold? The Rams, do we know what Matthew Stafford is going to look like? He said he wants to come back. Do you, we know that they want him back? New Orleans, if they lose Taysom Hill, if they lose Andy Dalton, if they lose Jameis Winston. Tampa Bay, it's assumed that they're losing Tom Brady. So who's the quarterback there? Is it Blaine Gabbert? Seattle, if they don't replace Geno Smith. And Detroit. Detroit, like I said, if they're going to get rid of their current quarterback situation with Jared Goff, who I like a lot, I have him number four on my list, they're also a quarterback destination. 18 teams, like I said. And the crazy part is that four of those teams are in the playoffs right now, and yet they're still looking for quarterbacks. And we'll talk about this a little bit later when we talk about the NFL playoffs. The NFL playoffs this week are weird. There's a lot of teams that are like kind of doesn't feel like they should be there. And we talk about this all the time with the seven seed. So you add the seven seed, it makes week 18 all the more fun. It's great and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, is it worth it? Like, do we have really good teams? Are these just a bunch of trash teams with trash quarterbacks? It's a really weird situation. I think there's flaws to every one of these teams, which is going to make the NFL playoffs really interesting. But we might see a bunch of blowouts. There's some wide spreads this week in the wild card. And imagine if we added, eight, added the eighth team to each conference, what kind of spread that would look like with Philly playing against an eighth seed that would have been Detroit. And I guess Kansas City would have played against maybe New England or Pittsburgh, right? That spread would have been wide as well. All right. Um, before we get to the NFL playoffs, though, because I do want to talk about this week's NFL playoffs, I want to talk about two other things. Number one is the Knicks. Um, and the other is a baseball topic. So I'm going to move off football for a second. Uh, and then we'll get back to football and back to the picks for this week. Obviously, like we always do on Friday, we pick the games. So the Knicks and why I want to talk about it, because I talked last episode about always playing results, and I talk about it all the time about playing results. You can't play the results. Um, so the reason I want to talk about this right now um, is because there's been an interesting trend with the Knicks and losing close games. And it happened again against Milwaukee. And it almost happened again last night. And it's specifically happening at home at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks are now 11-11 and 11 at home. They got to 500 after beating Indiana by six. But in a game where they were up by, I think, almost 20 points in that game against the Indiana Pacers. So here are the Knicks' 11 losses at home. I'm going to go through them real quick. On November 2nd, they lost to Atlanta. They had a 20-point, 23-point lead in that game and lost 112 to 99. That's a 13-point loss in a game that they had a 23-point second-half lead, or sorry, in the second quarter they led. On November 5th against Boston, they were outscored by 10 in the fourth quarter. They had a lead in the third. They wind up losing 113 to 118, losing by 15. On November 13th against Oklahoma City, this is one of the worst losses of the year. They score 48 points, the Knicks do, in the first quarter and lead by 13 in the game, but lose 145 to 135. They give up 145 points in that game. November 25th versus Portland, an excruciating loss. They're up by as many as 14. They have a 70% win probability with 13 seconds left to go in the game. They were up to, and they wind up losing in overtime, 132 to 129. November 27th against Memphis, another heartbreaker. They had the lead. They were up one with 15 seconds to go in the game. Mitchell Robinson blocks a Ja Morant three. Ja then gets his own rebound off of the block shot and lays it up and in. 
Uh, just an excruciating way for that to end. And then with 13 seconds left in the game, Knicks down one, Brunson misses a jumper at the rim for an opportunity to win that game. And they lose to Memphis November 30th against Milwaukee. It's a back and forth game the entire time. It's tied at 103 and the Knicks missed free throws down the stretch causes them to lose that game 109 to 103 against Milwaukee. December 3rd against Dallas. This is obviously the Dallas game that everyone knows about. They have the 17, the seven point lead at the half. And then they get outscored 41 to 15 in the third, which ultimately propelled the Knicks to an eight game winning streak. After that, that was the game that probably would have gotten Tibbs fired had the Knicks not won eight consecutive since that point. But the Knicks have, after they lose, after they win eight consecutive games, not all of them at home, their ninth game was against Toronto at home December 21st. They're down 14 multiple times. The Knicks fought back, but they fell short in that game, a game where Siakam had over 50 points. You can't expect that to happen all the time. The Knicks lose 113-106. to 106. December 23rd against Chicago, another excruciating one. They're up six down the stretch, and Grimes, RJ, Brunson, and Julius Randle combined to go two for eight from the free throw line. They couldn't ice the game with free throws, and then DeRozan hits a game winner as the game expires. With the Knicks up one, he hits the game winner. But if the Knicks at least go 50% from the free throw line, the Knicks win that game. Christmas Day against Philadelphia. The Knicks lead at the half. They're up 14. Same type of thing. They blow the lead late. The Knicks, the Philadelphia 76ers had their first lead of the game in the fourth quarter. They ultimately come back to win 119-112. to 112. And then Monday against Milwaukee. This was this week. The Knicks had a 96% win probability with two minutes to go in the third up 17 Fournier makes a terrible play where he leaves one of his defenders and by the way he takes a couple of ill-advised threes at the end of the game and then Brunson Brunson talked about this he said it's a make or miss league or Julius Randle said it's a make or miss league if you make these shots and we win if we we didn't make those shots we had open looks we had good shots and Brunson broke it down even further he said I had four possessions in a row in the fourth in the fourth quarter where I missed on a, on a bad jumper that I took over Drew Holiday. I took a pull-up three that I shouldn't have taken around the screen. And then I had a turnover where on a pass to Obi Toppin. And then I turned it over when I dribbled it into uh, Drew Holiday and he stole it for me. Those four possessions go differently. We win the game. And the, the point in all this is to say, like, what's my point? Yes, the Knicks' 11 home losses have all been excruciatingly bad. They've all been games the Knicks had leads in, sometimes huge leads in these games, and they blow leads. And good teams find ways to close out games and win games at home, especially when they have big leads. Here's my point. The Knicks are 23-19 and overall. They're 12-8 and on the road and 11-11 at home. But they started 4-7 and at home. Since then, they've gone 7-4. and They found their rhythm. They found ways to win these games. They're in every single one of these games, and they have big leads in every single one of these games. And at the end of the day, they're not winning these games because things happen. And then you could look at each instance in every single one of these games and look at a few plays here and there that go a little bit differently. And the Knicks actually are the winners in these games. So like I always say, Brunson's playing at an all-star level. I thought last night when they almost blew the game, Tibbs changed the way he coached and did something incredible. He actually put out a lineup that I really loved. It was a five-man unit of Julius Randle at the five, RJ at the four, Grimes and, and, and IQ both on the floor, and Jalen Brunson. Though Those were the five. No Mitchell Robinson, no Obi Toppin. Your five best players essentially were on the floor to close the game. 
And I think we're going to be seeing those best five on the floor more often to close the game. The point is the Knicks have shown since that beginning of the year, they've been seven and four at home in their last 11 opportunities. They've shown since the beginning of the year that they're learning from those tough losses. Those tough losses, yeah, they suck, but they're not the norm. Eventually, you're going to win more of those games. After the Milwaukee loss, I actually tweeted that out. I said, we're going to win one of these eventually. There's going to be a game, and they're going to hold on. And eventually, you learn how to win. But this team has proven Quentin Grimes is a winning player. Manuel Quickly is a winning player. RJ is also. Julius is playing like a winning player this year. And, and Jalen Brunson is not just a star. He's a superstar. And he is a guy who can close out games for you down the stretch. He proved it again. By the way, I... I Saw it for the first time. RJ was playing with the second unit, and it looks really good. I like the ball in his hands. I thought he could have gotten a couple more assists, but guys didn't hit shots. It's Again, it's playing the results. You're getting good looks. Just sometimes they're not going down. I think once the Knicks start winning a few of these games, they'll stop panicking in the fourth quarters. They'll figure out a way to hold these leads, and they'll realize that, yeah, it's not that bad. We can win, win these games. It's so easy to play the results of all those games, but I think they're actually really headed in the right direction with this team. The baseball point is as follows. Uh, I don't know if you've been following the Carlos Correa story this year. This is a wild story. So here's the timeline of Carlos Correa's offseason. Obviously, last year, he signs a three-year deal with an opt-out after the first two years with Minnesota. It's a short deal. Nobody's sure why. It's like, oh, it felt like he should have signed a long-term deal. Everyone thought he's going to get a really long-term contract. Then he ends up signing a smaller, long, short-term contract with the Minnesota Twins. He opts out, and that's it. Um, and then this year on... November 7th of this year, he opts out of his contract, right? There's two years and 70 million remaining on the contract. He opts out. On December 13th, he agrees to a 13-year, $350 million contract with the Giants, a huge contract, a huge long-term contract. And the day before his press conference is supposed to happen, the press conference gets pushed off. And they say, this is, again, this is already a week later. This is on December 21st. They're not sure why he's not signed with the Giants yet, but it's not official yet. And there's a problem with the medicals. The Mets swoop in. They get him at a year less and $315 million, which is still a ton of money, but $35 million less than what the Giants were going to pay him. And he agrees to that deal with the Mets. And that, that continues to lag. And that lags and lags and lags. And three weeks later, we're hearing stories. He's going to sign with the Mets. They're going to get it done. It's just going to be a different contract. Blah, blah, blah. Back and forth. And then three years, three weeks later, like we said, he agrees to a six-year, $200 million contract with the Twins that has an option to reach up to $270 million total. That was on January 10th, which is a couple days ago. This is one of the weirdest stories I've seen. Either the injury is so bad or it's not that bad. But according to the Giants and the Mets, it was that bad. And the Mets, their owner, obviously being on Twitter and being a fan, this is the downside of it. He came out, oh, we got Correa. Well, you didn't get Correa. And now he's back to the Twins. And somebody mentioned this. Yeah, if you look at his uh, baseball reference page, people are just going to think that he played a career with Houston and then signed the free agent contract with Minnesota. I was kind of thinking about it. It's like the back of the baseball card, but I guess I'm old school because uh, baseball reference can still do that thing where they show like the different jerseys. It would be cool if they showed like he was a Met for a day and he was a Giant for or seven days and he was a Giant for seven days. He was a Met for 21 days. <laughs> It's kind of interesting, but this is one of the weirdest stories I've seen. A guy and his medicals went from a $350 million contract to a $200 million contract in less than a month, and it was three different teams. 
that were involved. Really interesting story, uh, and we'll see how it plays out now. Six years, $200 million, that's still a huge contract. Maybe he's healthy for four of them. Maybe he's healthy for the whole thing. Maybe he's healthy for one or two of them. But the Mets lose out on a guy who we talked about. That made them the big daddy in New York. That made them the big brother in New York by going out and signing Carlos Correa. I don't think they're a bad team without him. I think they're still a really good team. And I don't think this changes my opinion. Steve Cohen still proved that within reason, he's going to get the best player no matter what, and he's not going to be stopped. But within reason. And apparently Carlos Correa was not within reason. One point I wanted to make about the national championship because I watched it on Monday like the rest of you guys. People are upset because, well, TCU shouldn't be in this. And by the way, I didn't even realize they weren't even undefeated. They had one loss. But it's like TCU shouldn't have even been in this because they're in a different conference, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? Get used to it. Because guess what? There's going to be more teams and more teams coming into the college football playoff because there's money. There's We all want this, right? We want more college football playoff teams. We want an actual college football playoff, not just four teams getting in. And guess what? Some of these teams are going to win a game or two, and then they're going to end up in either a conference, a college football semifinal or in a final against a team that they're way worse than, and they're super overmatched, and they're going to get their doors blown off. You know what? Take it as a gambling opportunity, because at about halftime of TCU against Georgia, you still could have bet Georgia minus 20, and you would have gotten plus odds for that. So the loss ended up being something by like 60 points. You could have made money. So take it as a gambling opportunity because this isn't going away. This is only going to happen more and more. And don't complain about it either because this is what you want. You want college football. You want more college football playoffs. And college football wants more playoff teams. More money for them. The downside is there are going to be teams that you have to put in like TCU. You're going to have to put them in. But they're not very good. And maybe they'll win a game. Maybe they'll win two games. But they're not as good as some of these big schools like Georgia. And Georgia's just a dominant team. And by the way... Would it have been a closer game if Michigan had played them? Would it have been a closer game if Ohio State had played them? Yeah, it would have been closer. But those three teams were going to win the championship over TCU forever. That was always going to happen. All right, let's get to the NFL playoffs. Stop talking about college football playoffs. A few points from the NFL playoffs to get to before we pick the games. And we're, like I always say, we're going to pick the games. We'll get there. I don't even know how long I've been talking for, but... We'll get there. Don't worry about it. Number one, there are three divisional games in the NFL this week. Seattle is playing San Francisco. That's at Saturday at 4.30 p.m. Miami is playing at Buffalo on Sunday at 1 p.m. And Baltimore and Cincinnati Sunday Night Football at 8.15. These are all divisional matchups. And since 2005, there have been 25 divisional games in the playoffs. And in those games... The underdogs are 14, 10, and 1 against the spread. Do with that information what you want. We'll see if that factors into my decision to take games later on. But like I said, underdogs in divisional games in the playoffs, 14, 10, and 1 against the spread. I love that there are divisional games in the playoffs. We're going to be seeing it a lot more often because of the added seventh seed. It's going to be fun. Usually we wouldn't even see them till the second round of the playoffs. Now we're going to start seeing them more and more in the wildcard round. And I enjoy it. I think it adds an extra wrinkle. It's been really cool to see what it's added to this Cincinnati. Even last week's Cincinnati-Baltimore game felt like it meant more because they were going to be playing each other this week. The other thing I want to talk about, this is a New York sports podcast, and the New York Giants are in the playoffs, and good for the New York Giants. And when I went through this, I was thinking of the path for the Giants, because I think there's a realistic path for the Giants to win. Uh, They played a really close game against Minnesota last time. They play Minnesota again this week. 
Minnesota is missing offensive linemen, and we know the Giants' recipe to Super Bowls in the past was win just enough games to get you in. Maybe you don't have the best team. Again, it was, what was it, year four, year five of Eli Manning? People still weren't so sure about him, and then he goes into the playoffs kind of as an underdog team, and they run the table and win the Super Bowl ultimately against the undefeated New England Patriots. Could Daniel Jones be doing that again with Brian Dable, the coach of the year in the NFL, in my opinion? I think it could happen. What was the strength of those teams? The defensive line, getting pressure on quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins is a guy who struggles when you get pressure on him. Every quarterback struggles when you get pressure on him. And they're going to be missing half of their offensive line on Sunday. If the Jets, if the Giants can get pressure on Kirk Cousins, there's a real chance for them to win that game. Everyone knows no one's taking Minnesota and Kirk Cousins seriously. I think the Giants have a real shot. And then you play Philly. If the Giants play Philly... They barely hung with the Giants when the Giants had their backups in. And speaking of, I kept saying David Blau, and I said it on the podcast. I watched an entire Giants game while I was working on the radio, so the game was on mute. And I seriously thought that David Blau was the quarterback for the Giants. I even said to the host at some point, I'm like, wow, did you see that touchdown that David Blau just had? It's kind of funny. And then I would find out because I was doing this exercise where I was looking up the different quarterbacks that might be available. And I saw Davis Webb started for the Giants. I was like, what? I thought it was David Blau. No, David Blau started for Arizona. I knew I heard David Blau was playing this week. I guess I got them confused, and he started for Arizona. Davis Webb was the Giants quarterback, and even still, Philly barely, barely beat the New York Giants. They had to hold on to win. It's a divisional matchup. Like we said in the playoffs, anything can happen when you play a divisional rival in the playoffs. Who knows how healthy they are right now with Jalen Hurts? I don't know. I wouldn't trust it. And then look around. Really, old Tom Brady with a bad offensive line there. You don't think the Giants can beat them? Dallas, Mike McCarthy, Dak Prescott. You don't think the Giants can beat them? Seattle, if they find a way to win a game and end up in the conference championship. And we don't know what San Francisco, even with their incredible defense, I think they're the best team in the NFC right now. But they have Brock Purdy. He's an unknown. We don't know what Brock Purdy's going to be once he gets into the NFL playoffs. It's a real unknown. And so the Giants, once you get to the Super Bowl, I mean, it's house money. Pressure's on the other team. If it's Kansas City, if it's Buffalo, Cincinnati, anyone else. I don't know. The path for the Giants looking mighty good. And Kenny Galladay was elevated after getting his first Giants touchdown at the end of two years. He was elevated to the R to the wide receiver one on the Giants depth chart on their website. Now who knows what that means? Probably means nothing, but I think they're going to use him. They're going to play him, and that's going to be really interesting to see. Do I think their corners and defensive backs can keep up with Justin Jefferson? Maybe not, but don't let the Giants get hot. If they can beat Minnesota, and a lot of people, they're America's darling right now to beat Minnesota. If they can beat Minnesota, they can go on a real run and win a Super Bowl. Speaking of Minnesota and the Giants being favored, I did want to go through the path for them because everyone talks about Minnesota like they're this loser team. Everyone talks about their point differential. Minnesota's point differential is minus three. Well, guess what? They had three blowout losses. They're 13-4 and four in the season. They had three point blowout losses. And in those three losses, those they lost by a total of against Philadelphia, against Dallas, against Green Bay, if you don't remember. They lost by a total of 78 points, which means the rest of the season they are plus 75 in point differential. To put that in perspective, no, it's not the best team in the league. But that comes in behind San Francisco, the Bills, the Eagles, the Chiefs, Dallas, and the Bengals. 
That's it. They're seventh. They'd be way ahead of the Jaguars, way ahead of the Ravens, way ahead of the Lions, the Patriots, the Chargers, Seahawks, Packers, Dolphins, Giants, way ahead of all those teams. So when everyone cries and complains about point differential, we're looking at three games that they got blown out in. And guess what? The rest of the season, they were 13-1 and without those three games. So do those three games suck? Yeah. But 11-0 and in one-score games? Winning tight games teaches you something. When you're able to win tight games late in the season, that actually gives you an advantage, in my opinion. It means you've fought to get there. I think that's an important thing for these teams. I think they have a real chance to go on a run. One more story that I want to talk about going into the playoffs, um, and then I'm going to rank the teams because I talked about the Giants. I talked about the Vikings. There's one more team that I think is an underdog coming into the playoffs, but has a chance to be a, a darling and go on an unexpected run. That team is the Jacksonville Jaguars. How many times have we seen that the team at the end of the season that gets hot down the stretch, not the team that was the favorite, is the one that ultimately wins the Super Bowl? Think about Cincinnati last year. Well, a year ago, I wrote this article about the Jacksonville Jaguars. They have a Super Bowl-winning head coach, obviously, with Doug Peterson, and they have one of the best young quarterbacks in the league in Trevor Lawrence. This is the article I wrote a year ago about the Jacksonville Jaguars. I wrote it as follows. As the Jets inch closer and closer to a winless season, all the stories started to surface. Trevor Lawrence would be wise to stay in school should the Jets wind up with the first overall pick, people said. Can Trevor Lawrence pull an Eli Manning if the Jets draft him? That's also what people said. A few weeks later, these stories faded away as the Jets won two games and the Jaguars earned the first overall pick. Lawrence would be spared and the league celebrated not having to see this generational talent ruined by the awful Jets organization. Lucky for everyone, he'd be in good hands with Urban Meyer and the Jaguars. I hope my sarcasm is translating. We all know how the Jag season has gone, and seemingly every week there was a new negative story surrounding Urban Meyer. Remember the Tim T- that Tim Tebow was on this team? Yeah, crazy. All these negative distractions off the field have distracted everyone from the play of Trevor Lawrence on the field. We know developing a young quarterback in the NFL is no easy task. We hear about how the bad the Jets are developing their rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson, in the press every week. Or how great the Patriots are developing their rookie, Mac Jones. Yet we hear little about the guy with the highest expectations entering the season, Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence has widely underperformed to this point, yet we hear nothing about it. Maybe the media was right. Maybe New York is not optimal for a young quarterback with high expectations. But how has Lawrence fared any better? I made the argument on my podcast that, if anything, Lawrence is in a worse situation in Jacksonville. In New York, we would hear about his struggles in every article written by all the Jets haters in the media. Colin Coward and Mike Greenberg would go on TV and yell about how the Jets as an organization have failed another great talent, but instead we hear nothing. Lawrence has struggled and become irrelevant. All the chaos surrounding the organization has led Lawrence into obscurity. My opinion is that the Meyer disaster and lack of development can be career-threatening for Trevor Lawrence. The news finally dropped early Thursday morning that Meyer is out as the Jags head coach. This is the end of a chaotic era in the first 13 games of Lawrence's career. Lawrence will now have to try to go through an interim head coach, followed by a search for a new head coach. Rumors are Lawrence will have say in who that will be. We have seen guys come into the league and be ruined by bad situations. Proper care and development in the early years is integral to a quarterback's long-term success in the league. This situation is dysfunctional in every area. And the support on the field for Lawrence is not much better. We don't often see guys with the talent and expectations of this level turn into a bust. And while I'm not going to declare Lawrence a bust yet, 
not even a full season into his career, the mishandling by this organization can send their most valuable asset down a dangerous road in a hurry. That was a year ago I wrote that. Think about how things have changed. I mentioned the Jets and the Patriots. Well, Mac Jones, he's not the guy anymore, right? We're not feeling the same way about him. Zach Wilson, the Jets are fully out on. And yet, Trevor Lawrence, and I talked about the head coach search in that article. Trevor Lawrence, they got the right guy. They got Doug Peterson. And would anyone be shocked if now this team went on a run in the playoffs? Won a couple of games, at least one. And maybe even went to the Super Bowl. Like we talk about, one of those unexpected teams. And it seems like this is going to be a team and a quarterback and head coach combination that's going to be in this league and in this position for a long time. All right, I talked about a bunch of the teams, but I want to give you my power rankings, exactly how I feel about each one of these teams going into the playoffs. Number one, I have Kansas City Chiefs. Like I said at the end of last week, they're just toying with teams at this point. They're having a fun time. They're just messing around. The defense feels like it's coming together for them at the right time, as it always does. And you can't bet against Patrick Mahomes because you're in any game as long as Mahomes is on the football field. They're number one in my power rankings. Number two, I have Cincinnati. I talked about Buffalo so much. Obviously, Buffalo has a lot to play for. There's all this stuff on the line for them with DeMar Hamlin and that whole situation. But I still think Cincinnati's better. If I have to take one guy who's a winner, and I've been saying this, if I have to take one guy who's a winner over Josh Allen, I would take Cincinnati's Joe Burrow. I think their defense has looked good, and I think they looked primed to actually beat Buffalo in that game. They may get an opportunity if they go on a run to beat Buffalo at some point in these playoffs, and I think they will. Number three is the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo, their defense is solid, but it seems like Josh Allen is more mistake-prone than he's been in his career. And I don't know, something about that offense, it feels like they need a big play, and maybe they just didn't look that great because of everything that happened to them on Sunday against the Patriots. But they're going to have to clean that up if they're going to want to go on a major playoff run. That doesn't mean they can't do it. We've seen Josh Allen look like Superman at times and then be able to do it. Now, you think this is an only AFC power rankings no the nfc is just really weird number four is san francisco i have them as the top nfc team because they're perfect they're flawless they have the best defense they have the most weapons on offense what are they missing oh right a quarterback it's tough to say that brock purdy can either come into the league in the playoffs and light the league on fire and it's tough to say that he won't though because that's all he's done since he's gotten into the league he's undefeated as a quarterback in the nfl so what do we see from brock purdy i don't know but to say that he's for sure going to come in and light it up in his first ever playoff appearance, it's hard to imagine he will, but at the same time, it's hard to imagine he won't. That's why I have them at four. At number five, I have Philadelphia. Philadelphia has dealt with injuries. Philadelphia has dealt with injuries mainly to the most important player on the field in Jalen Hurts. But if Jalen Hurts can return to the MVP form that he was at earlier in the season... And Nick Sirianni can return to the form that he was at as the head coach of the year that people were talking about early in the season. This team is the best team right now in the postseason. I just don't know if they can get back to that point. They may have peaked too early. They're number five on this list. Number six is the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota, like I said, at some point you have to respect 13 and four is 13 and four. And point differential or not, this team has looked insanely good this year. And even if you don't love Kirk Cousins, which I don't, I'm not a huge Kirk Cousins guy. I don't love the idea of having to rely on Kirk Cousins in these games. He just throws it up and Justin Jefferson goes and gets it. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Maybe even Zach Wilson would be able to be a good quarterback with Justin Jefferson. Just kidding. <laughs> Number seven is Dallas. 
I had to put Dallas here because their defense is really good. Their skill positions are really good. Their two running backs are really good. The problem is Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy are going to throw them a game at some point. And I'm just waiting for it to happen. Does it happen against Tampa? Does it happen later on? It's going to happen. The question is when. Number eight is Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, the reason they're not higher is because also their head coach thinks and their offensive lines thinks and they have to play Dallas in the first round. And how can you tell me that they're going to be Dallas when they can't block anyone and Micah Parsons is going to be running off the ball? I don't know. I'd be scared if I was Tom Brady. He's not particularly young. Number nine is the LA Chargers. Talent, Herbert, all the things we hear about. But there's the Brandon Staley factor. Are they going to charger it with Brandon Staley? I already said that if Mike Williams can't play, Brandon Staley should be fired immediately because, I mean, that's just a ridiculous thing that he was playing him this late in the season. You don't think that guy's going to find a way to make a mistake? It's so weird because when you go through all these teams, and Jacksonville's number 10, and I already talked about them, but when you talk about the Chargers, when you talk about Tampa, when you talk about Dallas, when you talk about Philly even, when you talk about San Francisco... At number 11, I have the Giants. Number 12, Baltimore. Number 13, Miami. Number 14, Seattle. Don't really need to get into all of them. But you look at all those teams in the turmoil. The Giants, Baltimore, Miami, Seattle. All might have different quarterbacks next year. The Chargers might have a new head coach. Tampa might have both. Dallas might have both. San Francisco is probably going to for sure have a quarterback. That's not Brock Purdy next year. The different things. that It's the weirdest playoffs. And I mentioned this earlier on the episode. But there's so many weird quarterback and head coach situations with all these teams. Like Miami, Baltimore, Seattle, the Giants. It's a really interesting playoffs. And based on how it goes, because this is how the NFL works, this is how sports works. Take a team like Miami. Take a team like Seattle. You're not sure what you have in your quarterback. With Miami, you don't even know what you have in your head coach. There are two games, two good games, two bad games by the other team. A couple of lucky breaks away from being in a Super Bowl or an AFC championship game, or they're one terrible game away from their head coach being fired. It's a really interesting situation that all these teams are currently in. So I'm going to give you my picks. I'm actually going to before I pick the games because I remember I was going to do this. When you rank the teams, a lot of it has to do with quarterback. So I ranked quarterbacks in the playoffs also. And does it match? Well, number one, Mahomes. Yes, it does match so far. Number two, Burrow. So far, so good. Number three, Josh Allen. Number four, I have the number eight ranked team. I have Tom Brady as the number four quarterback. The only reason he's ahead of Hurts, who I have at number five, ahead of Brock Purdy still, by the way, is because of the injury, and we don't know what Hurts will be post-injury. Number six, I have Justin Herbert. Number seven, I have Trevor Lawrence. Number eight, I have Kirk Cousins. Number nine is Brock Purdy. I have them as my number four ranked team. Number 10 is Daniel Jones. Number 11 is Dak. Don't at me. Number 12 is Geno Smith. And then whoever plays for Miami is 13. Whoever plays for Baltimore is 14. Unless Lamar plays. I don't know. He's not playing. Just kidding. All right. Those are the rankings of the quarterbacks. Like I said, they're different than the rankings of the teams. And the reason I did that is because, yes, with some of these teams, it's all about the quarterback. With other teams, there's so much up in the air. We don't even know if the quarterback's going to be the guy who's still here next year. And so with that, I'm going to pick the games. My picks are always sponsored, so here it is. Today's picks are brought to you by Co36. 
You may know that I recently took a job with Fox Sports. What you might not know is I travel around a ton for sports. I travel for my podcast, whether I'm in the studio for the radio station, whether I'm at home working for Fox, whether I'm traveling for sporting events. I want to be comfortable, but I want to look good and look presentable the way I do that. Co 36, this is their branded hoodie. I love it. It's my favorite hoodie. I wear it all the time. It's soft. It's stretchy. It's lightweight. It's comfortable. It is literally the best clothing that I've had. They are the perfect modern day office wear brand. Um, and if you use the code HOLIDAY10 now, you can get 10% off your first order. There is a link in the description of the episode, and they are the official sponsor of the Rami LaVie podcast pick segment. Again, that's co36co, and then spell out the words 36.com. Go there, visit them today. Thank you, as always, to Co36 for sponsoring the picks on today's episode. And here are my picks. Um, just before I get into the picks real quick, a stat I saw somebody sent me today was in the last 62 wildcard games in the NFL playoffs, the outright winners are 54-7-1 against the spread. So if you like a side, take the number. So if a team's minus a lot and it feels like too many points, take and you think they're going to win, take them. If a team is plus... Then you could take them, I guess. I don't know if you like them to win. I don't know how that works. But yes, basically the winners also have covered. And it's again, last 62 wildcard games, the outright winner has covered the spread. They're 54-7-1 and one against the spread. That's it's a pretty large sample size. It starts on Saturday at 4.30 p.m. Seattle is at San Francisco. San Francisco is minus 9.5, and, and I like San Francisco in this game. I think it's over for Gino. We don't know what Brock Purdy is going to look like. That is the biggest wild card in this wild card game is Brock Purdy. But if he can find a way and we'll know right away, if this is the guy, then I ride San Francisco the rest of the way. Then they're not my number fourth ranked team anymore. They're probably my number two ranked team behind Kansas City. And I think they can make it to the Super Bowl and play Kansas City. They'd be the best team by far in the NFC. I think they'll win. I think they'll cover the nine and a half. And I think Brock Purdy has shown us only that he will have success. Why wouldn't he? Saturday night at 815. And this is an interesting thing because uh, they just announced that it's going to be on NBC. And Al Michaels is going to be back on NBC for this game. But he's not going to be with Chris Collinsworth. Obviously, it's it's contract stuff. So Collinsworth is going to be doing Sunday night, I guess, um, with Tariko still. So that means Al Michaels is back on NBC, but not working with Collinsworth. He's doing it with Tony Dungy, which just makes no sense to me. Just if you're bringing him back, you're going through the whole thing to bring him back on NBC, you might as well give us Alan Chris. America needs it. We've gone through a pandemic, inflation, a recession, all these different things we've gone through as Americans. We need Chris and Al in our lives. I'm begging you, NBC. I'm begging you, NFL. Make it happen. Hopefully, the NBC executives who listen to this podcast will heed with the call and put Alan Chris on this game. And the game is actually a pretty good game. It's a game that's an interesting game because two teams you don't think would be a good game, two teams that weren't even that good this year. But the Chargers are at Jacksonville. The Chargers are minus two and a half in this game. I'm going to take Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville can win. Like I said, if Mike Williams can't play, if he's even limited in this game, Staley should be gone. And I don't trust the Chargers not to charger this game. Uh, I think Staley should be out after this season. I love... Justin Herbert and what he's capable of doing, but I love the Super Bowl pedigree that we have in Jacksonville at home with Doug Peterson, and I think Trevor Lawrence is the real deal, and he's going to prove it in the playoffs. Although last week, his first real test in the playoff-type game, 
he wasn't very good. I know that was technically a playoff game. It was winning you're in. He wasn't particularly good against Tennessee. I think he gets the jitters out of the way. I think they win at least cover the two and a half, but I think they'll win outright. To Sunday at 1 p.m., they kind of buried this game in that Sunday slot. One o'clock in the afternoon, it's Miami at Buffalo. My Buffalo is minus 13 and a half. I'm going to take Buffalo. It's a huge number. I hate taking these huge numbers, but Skylar Thompson is really not that good. And I saw him play against the Jets. He's really bad. He's going to be starting for Miami. And it's a messy situation in Miami. We talked about this all along. It's Mike McDaniel could be out after the season just as a blame guy for how they handled the Tua situation. Um, we saw this game not too long ago in the snow, right? That snow game on that night game. And it felt like that was a really close game between Buffalo and Miami. And now only a couple weeks later, this feels like such a different game, both for Buffalo and for Miami. This feels like we're light years away from where we were when it was a close, fun game. This doesn't feel like a close game. This doesn't feel like a fun matchup for either one of these sides in the postseason. Uh, but I do like Buffalo to win. I'm not so impressed on Buffalo. Like I said, I'm still not so high on them. But I think against Skylar Thompson, they should be able to win and cover the 13 and a half. Sunday at 4.30 p.m. is the Giants at Minnesota. Minnesota is minus three. And like I said, all the public money is on the Giants. Everyone loves the Giants. When I looked at it earlier, it was actually higher. Now it's at 54% on the Giants. I saw that like 58, 59% earlier in the week. So between 50 and 60% of uh, bettors are betting on the Giants. I'm going to take Minnesota. I'm going to zag. I think the Giants can win. And like I said, I think the Giants, if they do win, will go on a run. They don't have the corners to keep up with Jefferson. They don't have the receivers to keep up and to score enough points in this game. I think Minnesota will find ways to score. And I think Minnesota is going to win and cover the three. And plus, Minnesota is fantastic in one-score games. It's what they do all year. It's what they've prepped for all year. I like Minnesota, and I think they'll beat the Giants. Sunday night football is Baltimore at Cincinnati. That line keeps moving by the day. It's now down to minus, or up, I should say, to minus 10 for Cincinnati every day with every passing day in the news. Um, we see that line move more and more. Tyler Huntley did practice today for the Ravens, which it's the first time he practiced all week for the Ravens, or at least threw a ball in practice was today. Uh, yesterday he was at practice, but he didn't throw in practice. So a kind of a quarterback, you kind of need to throw if you're a quarterback. Uh, the line, let me check it again. It's now down to nine and a half. So it's been shaky, but like I said, it was at seven and then it was at eight and now it's at minus 10 or minus nine and a half uh, for Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati does win this game. Uh, and to me, for the Ravens, though, we talked about Anthony Brown and Tyler Huntley. Are we sure Anthony Brown is worse than Tyler Huntley? They moved the ball more efficiently with Anthony Brown at quarterback last week. I think the back to back games factors into this. I think there's a lot of factors here and I think there's a chance. And I'm not saying they're going to win, but I think there's a chance that Baltimore, just with the familiarity, we know these close, low-scoring games, I think Baltimore will cover the 10. I'm not following my rule that I gave you that the teams that win have covered the spread like 90% of the time in those games. I'm going to take Baltimore to cover the 10 uh, in this game. It's I don't feel great about it. I think Cincinnati could definitely win and win by 10, but I like Baltimore to cover. I think Cincinnati will win, but I think Baltimore has a chance. I Maybe I'm biased. Maybe it's because I live here. Maybe because I cover the team, but I don't know. Monday night football is a doozy, and I heard rumors that the reason they got this game, and it's such a good game, the reason they got the Cowboys and Tom Brady was because, and just what, it's funny what you hear 
like in front of the camera and what you hear behind the scenes like everything we heard behind the scenes or i guess in the public was how oh the nfl did the right thing and we canceled the game and blah 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 with the damar hamlin situation meanwhile espn executives are apparently behind the scenes irate that they lost that game and they're like hey you owe us one so you're giving us dallas and tom brady just kind of how it goes um they usually like to put dallas in that 425 spot on sunday so that everyone could see it across the whole country blah 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 but they put dallas in the prime time spot on monday night because they felt like they owed espn one so for all the like i said i don't want to be negative i don't want to be a bad guy and i talked about it last week um that the nfl they handle things and the pr extremely well and they turned a negative situation into an extremely positive situation for them uh so i don't want to sound like a bad guy when i say that it's all just pr and it's all fake but if this is actually what was happening at ESPN behind the scenes, it doesn't take away from the guys like SVP and Ryan Clark and Troy and Joe who handled that whole situation incredibly and Lisa Salters and all those guys. But still uh, just tells you where they, their heads are at and it's all greed either way to the game. Cause that's more interesting. Um, ta- Dallas is at Tampa Dak. Like I said, I don't trust Dak. The line is the Cowboys minus two and a half and Something interesting a lot of people have said is that their defense, the Dallas defense, which we talked about getting pressure on Tom Brady, that's what you do. You get pressure, Micah Parsons, all that stuff. Well, somebody said they're actually much better at home. And the fact that this game is in Tampa on grass as opposed to turf is a real difference maker for this Dallas defense. I don't know if that's true. I don't even know if that's backed by fact. Uh, But Dallas, their defense has looked vulnerable of late. And Dak Prescott, has he has stretches like this. We know he's a good, capable quarterback at times. At times, he looks like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. Like I said, he led the league in interceptions. Uh, Tom Brady, as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, is 2-13 and against the spread in night games. So that's not good either. So I'm torn on this game, but I'm going to take Tampa and Tom Brady to win. I don't see Tom Brady losing to the Dallas. Everything tells you, everything points to a Dallas win, in my opinion, uh, other than the Dak stuff. Everything points to a Dallas win. But... I just don't see it. So two and a half, I'm going to take Tampa to at least cover the two and a half. But if you're going to take them to cover two and a half, you might as well take Tampa to win straight up against Dallas on Monday night football. I won't talk to you guys, I guess, till after Monday night football. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to record on Sunday after the Ravens game because I'll be working. Uh, So I'm going to talk to you guys after Monday and we'll recap the whole wild card weekend until then. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it for all the people who turned in, tuned in, I should say, to Ravens and uh, 105.7 The Fan this week to hear me working on that station. That was fun as well. Uh, I hope I could keep doing some more of that. Until next time, please like the podcast, subscribe, share it with the people you know, tell them it's a great podcast, rate and review. See ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know
Wanna drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks yeah. on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go oh, 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 I change it oh, 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 Always on my own oh, oh, I'm still New York You're the only oh, 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 That I'll ever know oh, oh, My country oh, 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 I'm still New York Yeah, BK born and raised I was God sent to hit the course, y'all didn't prospect Take them long walks on my time spin Just a kid with that empire, stay the mindset Kick flipping off a blind deck Dipping from the New York City's finest, yeah Said I've been up on my New York shit Walking down the block with my New York bitch I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it Even if I do, though, I can never hide it Top down on the west side when I'm driving East side be the only side that I'm riding I'm still here.